Lord, I confess I heard temptation knock at my door. It was hardly in disguise. Even so, I did not ask it to leave. I stepped aside, invited it in, and entertained it for a while. Like the old companion it used to be. But soon I remembered my savior resisted the devil at his weakest moment when the devil twisted the words of scripture and offered him a way out of suffering. Jesus said, flee. How could I even open the door and look it in the eye? Forgive me, Lord. You are my shelter. You are my rest. You alone are my refuge and place of safety. Who else can I trust? You are my God, and I will trust in you. You alone are my refuge. Amen. Not sure if you needed that this morning, but I most certainly did. Great songs this morning, Bob. Uh, we've been freed from chains, but yet time and time again we put them right back on, don't we? Um, those pictures that, uh, that were behind those songs of the Northern Lights, uh, anybody see those this week? You know, I, 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 I heard that people saw them, but I don't believe it. I don't, I don't think they really happened. Um, be silly to believe that, wouldn't it? I mean, I, we, we got a message on whatever night that was that, that somebody that we knew could, could see him, and, and I just looked at my wife, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. No way. In fact, a part of me said, you know what we should do is we should drive to the airport, get in the airplane, and go up in the air where it's really dark, and we would be able to see them, but I was just like, yeah, I don't want to go to the trouble. Um, and then, of course, I wake up the next morning, and my Facebook feed is absolutely pulverized by pictures of the Aurora Borealis that people saw in Wyoming. I didn't see them myself, but I know they happened because not only did lots of other people see them, but they testified to that in those pictures. Isn't that what the book of Hebrews is about? Um, and, and then there were four, a final four. Well, after today, there will be four left uh, survive in advance is the motto of teams that are in a tournament bracket. Survive in advance. You just need one more point than the other guy when that time runs out and, and you survive. It, they call it March Madness, and it has been absolutely maddening for a lot of people this year. Um, World Cup soccer, women's national invitational tournament. Lay, lay it all on the line for 40 minutes, the Wyoming women's head basketball coach said, and they, they, they tried, they tried their best, but they couldn't get it done. 
Um, they endured to the very end. Put your all into it. Sprint that 400. The main theme of this next chapter, Hebrews 12, if you want to turn there with me, is endurance. It's keeping on. Staying true to the end. And sometimes that can be hard. We feel abandoned by others. We feel alone. Things are hard and have been for a long time. So we're vulnerable to this feeling that, you know what, I'm just done. I'm just going to give up. I'm going to quit. I'm going to walk away from whatever it is. Um, but the preacher encourages today, you know, look, you don't have to be discouraged. We can fight those feelings. We can fight the, 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 the theme of the women's Bible study, you know, those thoughts in our head and all of that stuff. And we, we, think, we, can, we think we can control that. But we, what we really need to do is we need to give up control of those things to, to God. Um, there are things that we can and must do, and there are three reasons that we can endure that are found in our passage this morning. That's Jesus is our greatest example. Jesus' love assures us and Jesus' grace. Now, in sports and other kinds of contests, many competitors look up to others in their sport for inspiration, for, uh, as, as something to aspire to be as good as they are or even better. I mean, that's ultimately what what we want to be as a competitor is we want to be better than that guy who is at the moment ahead of us. We want to throw further, run faster, jump higher. For some who run a marathon, it's run the longest. Just finish. Just finish is for, for that, for me, that would be a win. I, I am more of a sprinter and, and we have to realize that our following of Jesus Christ is not a sprint. It is, it is a marathon. It, we need to be in it for the long game. And to be in it for the long game, we have to make sure that we have the right things that we're looking towards. Um, our, our passage this morning follows an incredible passage of example after example of people who ran long and hard. If you missed last week, I, I, I just would encourage you to, to jump online and listen to it or, or watch it. Um, all of these illustrations, they, they had faith. The, the heroes, heroes of faith, they heard God's word, they were moved in some way, they took steps of obedience, and then God witnessed through witnessed to them about himself and then to others through them. That's the process of, of faith. It, it is the experience. Our, our, our relationship with Jesus Christ is, is the greatest experience that we will ever participate in as a, an oxygen-breathing human being. But we get convinced so many times that it is, it is other things, and that's what we have to fight it against. Jesus, Jesus is greater than all of our circumstances, both good and bad. Jesus is our great shepherd. He is our great king. He is our great high priest. We have seen these things time and time again in the book of Hebrews. He created us. He knew us well before we were born, well before we were even conceived. And now as we look back at who he is, we follow him. We worship him. We trust him. We surrender to him. He is our ultimate hero. And though he is much more than this, he is also our inspiration. He is to be our hero. Jesus is our greatest example. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, 
Just as he just got, that therefore is there because of all the people that he just listed. Since we are surrounded in summary by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. A long, long, long time ago when I was a youth pastor, we were at a winter retreat at Camp Maranatha in North Platte, Nebraska. It was a Saturday afternoon. We had four hours of free time and we had reserved the climbing wall for the kids to go and, and climb up and, you know, rappel down and that sort of thing. And, and before anyone else ever tried, we took our oldest daughter, Cassandra, who was then like five or six years old. We harnessed her up and we had her scamper up the climbing wall, got to the top. You know, she leaned over like this, put her arms like this, and then fell backward. And the belayer caught her, lowered her to the ground. And then we turned to all of the other kids and said, what? If a six-year-old can do it, you can do it. We did that at Rimrock too. For, for two or three years, we would always haul Cassandra with us down to the repelling rock. We would harness her up. She'd go off the edge. She'd get to the bottom. The kids would be, you know, kind of shaken and even some of the adults shaken and peering over that rock. And we would say the exact same thing. Look, if a six-year-old can do this, then you can too. This is exactly what the preacher is saying to us this morning. He's saying, look at all of these winners. If they can do it, you can too. We got to look at all of these winners. We need to know that that's this great cloud of witnesses, these heroes of the faith, those who have gone before us. What great witnesses we have to listen to and study and read. That, it's exactly what Paul was referring to in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. If those disciples, if, if those kids can do it, so can I. None of those heroes of the faith were perfect. They, they all failed in different aspects of their life, just like we do, which gives me additional hope. Scripture is pointing to them. We need to look to them, warts and imperfections and all. If they can endure to the end, so can we. Have you been treated unfairly by your siblings? You need to take a look at Joseph's life. You need to study Joseph's life and learn some things. Um, if you're tempted to retaliate against someone for something, take a look at David's life. See how he handled things. See, see how not to handle things and see how to handle things. Do you think your job is too big for you? Study the life of Moses. Read about Moses. How did he do what God called him, commanded him to do? It, it's good for us to be reminded of the winners. We're, we're sitting among other examples here in, in this very room this morning, people who have endured People have learned from the hard knocks of life and, and come out the other side holding an anchor to Jesus Christ and would tell you 
that that's the only place to be. That's the only place to be. It gives us hope. I, I know it does me. So we need to take comfort in our relationship with Jesus. We need to be patient because he's with us. He's, he's growing us up. Testing and strengthening us. Look, look at all the witnesses. Let's follow them. Let's, let's, let's try to beat them. Well, let's look at how they follow Jesus by looking at the winners. We, we also need to look at ourselves. We, we need to look at ourselves. Now, there's a, there's a thing called a red card. It, it's what you have to have when you uh, go fight federal fires with, say, an engine strike team or, or you know, a, a hand crew, which I would never want to be on a hand crew. And, and in order to get your red card, you have, to you, you have to pass what's called the pack test. And in the pack test, you have to carry 200 pounds 30 miles in 30 minutes. Uh, maybe I'm remembering that incorrectly. <laughs> oh, that, that's what it felt like. That, that's, that's what it felt like. No, it was, it's 45 pounds, three miles in 45 minutes. And uh, so I have a pack here and... Uh, it's only 40 pounds. You know, one year, one year I, I practiced. Like for two weeks, I carried 45 pounds of salt around. And then, and then I did the pack test. And then the next time I was like, forget prepping. I'm just going to do it and be sore for two weeks. Instead of being sore for two weeks before it, <laughs> I'll just be sore after it. Uh, went to a track meet this weekend. Uh, well, I actually hauled a bunch of kids to a track meet this weekend. And, you know, they, they ran races. Um, and, and I didn't see one of those kids wear a pack when they ran their race. Um, could you imagine running a 400 with this? You know, I would like to see Slade Hopkins run a 400 with 40 pounds on his back in 51 seconds. He couldn't. You, you wouldn't do that, would you? No, in fact, you see runners on TV and they like don't even have any clothes on. <laughs> I, I talked to a young lady a couple days ago at practice and, and it, was, it was 25 degrees outside and she's in shorts. Like, where's your sweats? Oh, I can't run in sweats, she said. I, I can't run in them. I've tried. It, it just, it, it hinders her, Right. So, so though, you might, though you might at times wear something heavy like ankle weights, you know, to, or you see a baseball player step into the, into the warm-up circle, the on-deck circle, and, and he puts weights on his bat to swing it, right? Why does he do that? So that when he steps up to the actual plate, it feels lighter than it actually is. But see, that weight, um, that, that weight hinders him. What, what does the preacher say right here? He says, there's things that we put on ourselves that hinder us in our following of Jesus Christ. And, and um, that so easily entangle us. Now, the preacher doesn't get specific, but I don't think he needs to. A, a lot of things that come to, to my mind, in fact, are, are sin. You know, the sin that so easily entangles, and he does mention that. Uh, remember that, that uh, the preacher is, is writing to to 
um, first century Christians who have come out of Judaism and who are thinking about going back. And, 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 and it's the path of least resistance. But like I said earlier, we have been, we have been freed from this. Jesus has broken the chains to sin, freed us from this, but time and time and time again, we pick it up and we throw it on our back. We choose to do that. And, and he, he refers to it as the sin that so easily entangles us. It, it's like debt. I was thinking about that this morning. You know, it is so easy to, to put your signature to a $20,000 note for a car or a pickup or whatever, or a house. And then, and then the next day or the next month or the next month, it dawns on you, I actually have to pay this back. And it begins doing what? It, 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 be, it begins to entangle you. You don't have access to that money each month anymore. It was easy to do, and in the moment, so many of us just do it. I... You know, if, if anybody else in here is married to the youngest of her family or his family, I, I know the struggle. Because <laughs> you know, both of us are like, well, yeah, let's do it. We don't have the older, wiser one going, whoa, whoa, maybe we should think about this a little bit. That's what sin does. Sin says, hey, I can promise you this in this moment. And we're like, okay. And we throw the pack on. And then later, we realize, hopefully, we realize that that, that that weakness that we're feeling, that weakness in our knees and in our arms is because of the choices that we've made. It's because of the heavy hand of God on our shoulders. And God is saying, look, you need to, you need to get rid of this. You need to let this go. You need to repent of this. It is not helping you. But, but we often want what we want and we do it. Anyway, the preacher says, no, don't, don't do this. Don't return to the old ways. Don't grow dull to the word of God. Don't grow dull in your relationship with Jesus. Faith, it, it is that very thing that enables us to endure, isn't it? Faith, faith in what though? Faith in faith? Um, faith in religion? Faith in the law and our adherence to it? No, it's faith in Jesus Christ. As these verses say, our pioneer and perfecter, the one who went before us and who brings us along, the one who perfects that in our heart. We, we look back to and remember all of the winners. We look into ourselves and, and we repent of our sin and the other things that weigh us down. Because you see, you, as a Christ follower, we don't have to keep wearing this. My shoulders are starting to hurt a little bit. I mean, if I, I, if I tried to wear this the rest of the sermon, it might be good for you because that would last about five minutes. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. I don't have to wear this. Um, it, it is not a part of who I am. That's the way sin is in your life and in mine as a follower of Jesus Christ. We've been freed from that. And, and what we need to do is we need to let go of it. We need to repent of it. Now, I didn't practice this. So. A 
And, and see, that's the next thing is we need to look at Jesus. And we need to give that to him. He already paid the price for it. He already freed us from that. We need to let it go. We need to give it up. We need to repent of it. When Jesus was here on earth, he himself lived by faith. His, his divinity is, and his hu, humanity are one incredible mystery, aren't there? I mean, we, we hear it all the time. He was 100% human and 100% divine. What? I don't understand how that even works. I, I don't know. But the fact is that, that Jesus, the fact that Jesus prayed tells me that he lived by faith. Jesus was tempted just as we are. Yet Jesus himself endured, didn't he? He stood against that sin. He stood strong against the devil's attacks. Even when his body was physically the weakest, he stood against the devil's attacks. And how did he do that? What was his main weapon when Satan was trying to tempt him? Scripture, it's the word of God. If Jesus goes there, that's where we need to go. And he endured way more than any of the heroes of faith. He ultimately endured the cross, the shame and suffering and the opposition of sinners, the passage says. And he even endured temporary rejection by the Father. We believe that he did those things. And so we look at him. John 3, 14, 15, and 16 says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, that spoke volumes to the people that first read this. So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. We must, we have to look at Jesus. It's our only hope of salvation. Now, none of us here today, obviously, have endured to the point of death, but, but Jesus did. Jesus refused to save himself. He was obedient to the Father all the way to the cross and the grave. Satan tried to get Jesus to leverage his deity for his humanity, and he refused. And it wasn't out of just sheer discipline. No, he went straight, straight to the word of God. Uh, Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Understatement of the year, I think. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus, I mean, you know what? If that were me, I'd be like, Boom! Bread! Because I want to win. I want to prove that I'm better than the next guy. But not Jesus. Jesus didn't do that. Instead, Jesus quotes scripture. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When Jesus was attacked, he went to the word. When we are attacked, we go to the word. We have to. We look to Jesus and do what Jesus did. We go to God's word. Um, two weeks from today, we're going to be celebrating Jesus' conquering of, of sin and death. On our behalf, the resurrection. And, and my hope for you is that you would begin now. I mean, my fear is that, that it's just going to show up and be gone and we're not even going to have to have, pre have prepared ourselves for it. I just kind of get the, that sense in my, own, in my own life. So let's, 
really be intentional in the next two weeks about thinking and preparing our heart to worship and thank him. Let's surrender our heart to Jesus. Let's surrender our sin and our selfishness and our pride, our arrogance, our materialistic attitudes, our, our entitlement, our self-righteousness. Let's, let's repent. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal sin in our life that we have gotten comfortable with. Those respectable sins. When they come to mind, and even, even when we are disciplined because of them, that is an indication that God loves us, isn't it? Um, Jesus' love assures us. That's number two. Uh, verse five, and you have completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. And have you completely forgotten? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however... It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. What, what truth here, right? No, we are not perfect. Yes, we need corrected. But in his perfect love, the Lord, the Lord straightens us out. He disciplines us. Are you being disciplined by the Lord? Praise God. Praise God, because if you are, you are his child. He loves you so very much and wants what's best for you. God will always do what is right and just and best. He is holy, un unlike us earthly fathers who make mistakes and do things sometimes out of selfishness or anger. God never does, ever. We can trust him completely. If there's something going on in our life that we don't understand, we need to look to him and have him explain it to us or help us see. Let's strengthen our feeble arms and our weak knees by listening and obeying God our Father. And as we do, he will produce righteousness and peace in our lives. He will produce that as he trains us. Psalm 16, 8 through 10 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. This is an interesting psalm. Written by David, but it's not talking about him. And I don't know if he got it when he wrote it. That, that's talking about Jesus Christ. David, 
David saw decay. All the others who went before saw decay, but not Jesus. Peter refers to this psalm in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 to point to the Messiah. David certainly isn't speaking of himself. He's speaking of Jesus. And our souls and our bodies are secure because of Jesus and what he did. We got to keep our eyes on our Savior because the more we don't, the more we're enticed to put that back on. The more we're convinced that that might actually be good for me. Peter, Peter was a winner. But something that we can learn from his life very clearly is that when you take your eyes off of Jesus, you start sinking. It was a literal experience for him. Especially in the midst of storms, we will just sink like a rock if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus. So let's not resist the discipline of God. Let's invite it. Let's ask God to show us those places in our life where we're coming up short for, from what he wants of us. And let's surrender obediently. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. The result of discipline is a straighter path. It's stronger knees. It's a stronger character. It's, it's more endurance and, of course, greater trust and faith. It's, it's like the coach saying, uh, the, it's like a basketball coach saying, hey, get your hands up. Well, why would he do that? Because, it, you know, they don't because their shoulders are tired and their arms are tired. Well, but, but if you don't keep your hands up, you're giving the offense an advantage. It's a simple thing to do. You just make yourself, you know, look bigger. Get your hands up. Or, or move your feet. Or keep your eye on the rim when you shoot the basketball or in track. Don't ever turn and look behind you. That only makes you slower. You will be the fastest if you keep your eyes straight on that finish line. Don't worry about what's behind you. Just run forward. Do not turn to the right or left. Run hard. You can do it. Go get that runner in front of you. Sometimes when I hear a coach see that, I look at the, the look on the kid's face as, as the bear has just crawled on their back and they're running around the, that, that corner into the wind. And, and you can just see them go, yeah, whatever, coach. Go get that kid. Proverbs 4.25 and through 27 says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. We see the goal ahead of us. And, 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 and we see one of the goals of this endurance in our relationship with Jesus in verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. 
Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Peace with all people and holiness before God. And without holiness, no one will see God. And that holiness comes from Jesus. We are washed with his blood. We are purified. We are so dependent on Jesus. We, we depend on the grace of God. God's grace never fails. It will never, ever fail. The failure is on our part when we refuse to surrender to it. So Jesus is our example. Jesus' grace assures us. And number three, the preacher encourages us to, to, to depend on the grace of God. We can depend on the grace of God by looking by faith in three directions. That first direction, I know I just told you not to, but it's to look back. Verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. That split second, in the moment, selfish, I want this right now decision that he made affected the rest of his life. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. We need to look back. We need to evaluate our our lives. We need to be honest and, and, and we need to admit what sins are robbing us of the grace of God in our life. According to these verses, some of those sins that um, are robbing us of the enabling grace of God are lack of spiritual diligence, bitterness against others, sexual immorality, and living for the world and the flesh. Now, Esau was godless. That's what it says. Um, some translations use the word profane. Uh, now, I'm sure Esau was a congenial guy. He was a good hunter. He, he, uh, he, he loved his father. Uh, he would have made a fine neighbor, I bet. But he was not interested in the things of God. He was not interested in the things of God. We have to learn from others who have gone before us, who, the people that we know who, who did not fear God. We, we can see it in their lives. Not in a judgmental way, but we see the factual evidence that happens in the lives of people who do not fear God, who are godless. See how their lives end. Observe their lack of joy and peace and learn from it. Don't Sell your eternity for the lies of the present, which is what Esau did. The empty promises of the material and sexual world endure the faith. God's, God's grace does not fail, but we fail to depend on God's grace. And looking back at others who didn't depend on the grace of God helps to warn us not to live for lesser things. By faith we look back. We also by faith must look up. Verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to dark gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned 
to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, which the law represents, but Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Here, here the preacher is contrasting Mount Sinai with Mount Zion. The old covenant and law and the new covenant and grace. And we endure in life by looking up to Mount Zion. Looking up to heaven. When God was down on Mount Sinai, he had to place boundaries around it lest a broken people would get too close to him and literally die. But the amazing thing is now once once we take our last breath, having been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, we can be in the presence of God and we, we will not only not die, but we will be as alive as we ever have been. Ever. We have been made perfect by the blood of Jesus. Abel's blood spoke from the earth and cried out for justice, while Jesus' blood speaks from heaven and announces mercy for all who believe. Abel's blood made Cain feel guilty as well as it should have, and it drove him to despair. Jesus' blood frees us from guilt and provides a way into the presence of God. Were it not for the blood of the new covenant, we could not enter the heavenly city. But because of it, we can, and we need to be encouraged by that. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's where we have the advantage over Moses. That's why I say what a privilege it is to live in the time that we live in today. Because we have witnesses of who Jesus was and what he has done. It should be easier for us than it was for Moses. It's easy for me to admit that the that the aurora borealis happened the other night and that you could see it in places in Wyoming because I have seen pictures of it. I have, I, I, I have people that I know who said they saw it. And I missed out because I didn't believe it. When we are in Christ Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We are made new. Our names are written in heaven. Jesus is our mediator. He is our great high priest. He is standing between us and God. And God sees us through the blood of Jesus. Wow, we, we look up, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be taken care of. In faith, we look back at not what to do. In faith, we look up to Jesus, up to heaven. And finally, in faith, we also look ahead. See to it, verse 25, that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, 
Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We create things, we control things in our life that we think give us security, that we think give us happiness and joy and all of that. And those are the things that God will shake and do away with. That's the scaffolding that we put up. And the shaking that that God is using is an attempt to break down all of that junk that we don't need in our life. So that we have the one thing that cannot be shaken. Look, God is moving. God is speaking. I know that he is. I've, I've heard him. I've seen him moving in the lives of other people in this room. Your testimonies bear witness to the fact that God is moving, so we better listen. We need to listen. God shook things at Mount Sinai, and when people refused to listen, he judged them. And he's shaking things. He's shaking our world today, isn't he? He's tearing down the scaffolding that we've put up. Those attempts to find purpose and take control, but they won't hold. It won't work. This shaking quotation comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the dry land. The closer we get to that time, when God will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, we will see more and more shaking. And our response should not be that of fear, but of faith. It should draw our eyes more to heaven and more to Jesus than the things around us. I mean, if the last three or four years haven't shown us that everything around us is up for grabs, what hasn't? No, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry. We can be confident because we belong to an unshakable kingdom. So what do we do as we live in this world that will continue to shake? We listen to God speak. We obey him. We receive that grace day by day to serve him with fear and trembling. We, we, we don't grow dull to his word, but we, we invest more and more time in it so that we're not distracted or frightened by the tremendous changes that are going on around us. We keep running the race with endurance to that last breath that we take, whenever that will be. We keep looking to Jesus Christ. Remember that your father loves you. He loves you. And draw on God's enabling grace. While others are frightened, we can be confident and we can stay in the running. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning.
Thank you for your word and how you've challenged us and have encouraged me, Father. I pray that, that we would all just, just hear the words of the preacher in Hebrews and, and your words from the Old Testament and Paul's words that are recorded for us in the New Testament and that, that, that we would forsake, that we would turn our backs on the sin that so easily entangles and weighs us down and tears us apart. Help us to focus on you. And, and Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's anybody here today who doesn't have someone in their life that they know is an example that they can follow, I pray that they would, where we all need to turn, they would turn to your word and they would see you. And Father, I, I pray, I don't know how many more generations you are going to leave to live and be born and die on this earth. I, I don't know. But, but my prayer is that the generation, that, that my generation, those in this room, whatever generation they are a part of, that they would be uh, an example to their generation of someone who is running with faith, keeping their eyes focused on the kingdom of God. That they're seeking first Jesus Christ. And that others would be inspired. That they would be a hero of the faith to them, knowing that that comes from you, not from us. Lord, I pray that after, especially after what we've seen in Hebrews the last two or three weeks, that, that, that those who go after us would find us faithful, that we would be faithful to the very end. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to close our service with this song.